0: Hey, y'all. I wanted to make a quick announcement before we begin this really great interview with a flashcard guru. And that is about our book, Read This Before Medical School. In our initial version, despite having lots of people, including myself and several other physicians, going over the material. Several times, we still didn't catch all of the grammatical errors, all the formatting issues. At one point, we actually had a couple of different books floating around somehow, so some errors were being corrected on one version and not another, and things just got mixed up a little bit. So we have revamped the book and re-released it, so all Kindle updates should show this new release with all of the updates, with all the corrections, and with better links, better formatting, just to bring a better experience for you. If you have the paperback version, don't worry. The changes aren't going to hugely influence the material and the value that you get from the book. Actually, if you want to keep it, I do a lot of traveling. I'll come around and sign it for you. You can keep one of the initials, and we can see the difference and how many errors might have been made. If you don't know what this book is that I'm talking about, please go to freemeded.org med student right now. You can download the free PDF essentials guide there, and there are links to purchase the book if you would like, or go to Amazon or any other book retailer that you are familiar with. If you have purchased this book and you found the material useful, please do go to our book review page on freemeded.org book review. This really, really helps us get the material out and show that it's of quality, that others that haven't maybe heard this podcast before that are searching on Amazon or some other bookstore might find it and say, oh, a lot of people have reviewed it, that's really good, that's very useful, I might check it out. I am very deeply appreciative to everyone that has left a review or has subscribed to this podcast and reviewed this podcast, so thank you all so much. You make it worth continuing to bring this information to you. All right, now on with today's show.
1: Welcome to the Medical Menemus Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco.
0: With dozens of disciplines, hundreds of study days, and tens of thousands of flashcards, medical students have a lot of material to organize and to remember. And this is just the life of a med student. But how do we keep all of our study material organized and make sure that we're using our academic time efficiently? With us today, we have one of the, dare I say, OG medical flashcard gurus, Dr. Amrit Sadhu, an internal medicine resident and creator of the Brosencephalon Study Deck. And today, we're going to explore some of the high-level concepts and misconceptions about flashcard creation. Amrit, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: No, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad that we're able to connect and uh, I know that your deck is one that I've heard of forever. I think you started a huge line of like flashcard creation types of products, and it's so popular, it's so well-known. So many students have used it. And I'm kind of curious as to a little bit about you and your background and maybe a little bit about why you created and and shared this deck so freely.
1: So I guess for everybody uh, kind of potentially meeting me for the first time, I'm currently... uh Chief Internal Medicine resident at a program here in the Detroit area, and I've had a particular interest in medical education and and evidence-based learning approaches for some time now, and a lot of that stems from the experiences I forged as a med student, a lot of what Chase is alluding to. I guess to be frank, I, I really stumbled onto all of this, mostly through efforts to improve myself, to improve my own study habits, my own how should I say, my survival in the second year of medical school, which I I feel seems to be a big fork in the road for a lot of students where, you know, the volume really ramps up and you start encroaching onto new topics, you know, many topics that you necessarily weren't exposed to as a student in, in your undergraduate years. So for me, it was really just a combination of being in that environment to being in a position where I... Wanted to see measured change in my study approach and in my performance. And that's really where I started looking into different ways to adjust my workflow. You know, back then, the medical school forums online, you know, on Reddit and on Student Doctor Network, I guess, were a lot smaller and were a lot more, how should I say, open with sharing a lot of contents. So through there, I I really got a sense of what other people were trying. And that's what introduced me initially to the Anki software. And after that, I kind of took what other people were suggesting in terms of adapting different learning styles. A lot of people were like, you know, really touting PDFs and really, really sharing their PDFs on Reddit. Uh, There's this really famous uh, set of PDF notes, I remember, that were being shared a lot on the med school subreddit back then. And ultimately, just through discussion, I I really started learning more about spaced repetition and how to present material in different formats instead of writing notes and watching lecture videos. And Pathoma was a really popular thing back then for a lot of med students as well. So I was really just tapping into different ways of processing material and presenting it to myself in a way that was more sustainable and that's where Anki and the flashcards really mesh together as something I wanted to try. And the rest of that, I think, was just kind of the inertia that I think the tool had. I think experientially, I saw a lot of improvement in a lot of, how should I say, improvement in terms of efficiency in my performance when I started putting these tools together. And I think that itself just encouraged me to read more about the cognitive science behind it and to keep developing this tool into something I could use for self-study. And over time, I think it just reached a tipping point where I was sitting on like 16,000 flashcards <laughs> that covered the vast majority of the basic science curriculum at my school. And I was asking myself, you know, what do I do with this here? And that's when I decided to just share it around in the similar vein as to what i experienced when i was crossing that bridge myself so i shared it you know with the question of hey would anybody else find this useful has anybody else tried this approach is anybody familiar with this program so on and so forth and the rest is kind of history i guess people really enjoyed it as a resource you know people started sharing edits back and forth without me even kind of knowing about it and Like you allude to, it really kind of stumbled and and evolved into its own movement, you know, for for med students, by med students kind of thing. And a lot of it, I think, has hinged with this evidence-based foundation in terms of the cognitive science stuff becoming more and more popular amongst med students. And I think the community just kind of took it from there.
0: And I love that you focus on the evidence-based aspects of it because even though I guess in cognitive science, a lot of these evidence-based techniques have been out there for a long time, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily reached all facets of medical education. And some of the producer of content, such as your flashcards, such as the show, such as other people we've had on the show, have really been focusing on these cognitive psychology learning psychology types of topics, evidence-based ways to really make it more efficient, just to find out that a lot of what we do in med school is not efficient. It's not evidence-based. It's kind of a waste of time. So I'm really glad that you focus on that part of the learning.
1: Yeah. I mean, you allude to something which I, you know, found equally as frustrating I guess we can extrapolate that point to beyond just med ed. You know why? I can look back to even just my own education in, in grade school and in high school. I was like, you know, a lot of these different approaches to to learning I think would have served me well if I was kind of introduced to them at a, at a younger age. I'm not sure how to how to dissect that topic. I know specifically in med ed, it, it's certainly a multifaceted issue. You know, we have a lot of tendency especially culturally in medicine, to lean on established conventions. And we you know there's an established hierarchy when it comes to knowledge and, and training that and I think this just traditionally keeps the whole med environment in a very concrete skeleton. But on the flip side, I think exactly what we're talking about now is, is coming from just increased awareness on not only the gaps in modern medical education curricula, but also the urge and the onus to patch those gaps with things that are really meaningful. So I think, I think the community is really just serving itself best with all of this, how should I say, a recent wave of, of wanting change. Even when I kind of measure the environment that I see now versus when I was a student in my basic science years, I think the approach and the focus has, has drastically changed. So I think we're headed in the right direction.
0: I definitely agree. And I think we're going to get into some flashcard techniques in a little bit. But I kind of want to question your experience on this since you're involved in the education aspect of your residency program, from my understanding too. How are some of the changes with, I guess, COVID being a main sort of catalyst for this? Is it affecting your program? Because I know a lot of schools, not just med ed, but in legal and undergrad, all these schools are being shifted to these distance education types of online courses, but they weren't actually set up to be that way. So a lot of students are kind of suffering through that. But I think set up properly, online education has a lot to offer. And most studies that I've seen accurately comparing online to in-class shows that online is as good, if not better, for the student. So I'm kind of curious as to what you've seen in your experiences right now.
1: Yeah, uh, a lot to unpack there too. And I guess... A lot of what we could talk about kind of aligns with some of the silver linings of all this COVID stuff, because the pandemic, even just on a broad scale, I suppose, has really magnified a lot of existing gaps and, and deficiencies with, with systems that have been set up across you know all aspects of life. And I guess in, in a good way for a lot of these different areas, they've precipitated the need for change and I guess the framework for change. I was actually uh, recently on the curbsiders talking about this, um, especially in terms of adjusting a graduate medical educational environment in response to the pandemic. One thing that I suppose I'm really proud of is even prior to the pandemic, I had already made it a project of mine at my own program to change the curricular structure and adapt it in a way that was just a little bit more engaging and in line not only with cognitive science, but with just the modern learner, the modern medical resident. So what we had done and established at my program was effectively creating an online supplement to our in-house curriculum. And we, In collaboration with my program director and, and my associate program director and a bunch of specialists who offered their knowledge, we were able to set up an online platform that included archived video lectures, different self-assessment tools in terms of multiple choice questioning and self short answer-based self-assessments as well, too, as well as a selection of interactive tools just throughout the year. Mostly in our research interest was to see how the tool could engage learner engagement. And of course, we were also hoping for improvements in performance over a longitudinal setting. All of a sudden, you know, along came this viral pandemic and we found ourselves essentially primed and ready to scale all of our didactics to not only be asynchronous, but also be remote through, you know, tools like Zoom or or WebEx or, you know, different, uh, different online conference software that have really come into the forefront. And I suppose the whole COVID experiment with our curriculum has really reinforced my belief in that the modern online platform supplement idea is is something really strong and that we can really bring into the graduate med environment. So that is going to remain a particular research interest of mine going into my next few years and the early years of my career. And I guess that also puts me kind of in a unique position in terms of my experience, whereas I kind of already had this cooking and the pandemic came along and really kind of just forced it To be the only thing that existed for our program and so far it has helped keep our didactics afloat to a certain extent and of course offered me the ability to to share our project with a lot of other people around the world who are facing this same bridge right now
0: that's fascinating yes i know this question kind of wasn't on our initial topics but i did hear that curbsider interview. And I love that show. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that because that's also a big interest of mine in the past. It's actually uh, very similar to the PhD dissertation I was working on a few years ago. So any sort of help in that line, I would be interested in helping out with that kind of research and seeing where it goes because I think it's going to provide a lot of benefit to students coming in the near future.
1: My whole path from or rather into med ed has really kind of strayed away from the whole content creation I suppose realm that I really started in just through all the experience that I've been able have been lucky to have established I guess I've really developed an affinity for curricular design and figuring out how we can bring a lot of these learning concepts and learning modalities into more applicable spheres you know one being residency education and the graduate medical environment. So I'm very much still, you know, neck deep in the flashcard creation and keeping up with just my own learning and knowledge from that standpoint. But I have quite a keen interest in, you know, examining how we can execute this for the people that really would benefit from them. And I guess indirectly for our patients as well, too. So that's kind of where my head's at right now. Happy to unpack that some more if we decide to go down this tangent.
0: Awesome. I definitely would like to talk to you more about that, but possibly we should do that afterwards because I really think that for this particular audience, uh, especially mostly in pre-meds, med students in the basic sciences, they're going to be interested in, or at least I hear this question a lot and I have had debates with others about this as well, how do we make some of the most useful flashcards. There's so many different designs, different techniques, different theories out there as far as how you actually set up your flashcard deck, what content you use. Do you have them open-ended? Do you have them closed? Do you have multiple choice? Just so much to unpack there too. Would you have sort of a basic rundown of what you use or what the science shows as far as efficiency in flashcard creation?
1: can unpack that a little bit more. As far as I am up to date on the literature, I don't think that this specific question has been really examined. But what I see a lot of educators do is really just infer from a lot of strong research outcomes that have emerged, I suppose, throughout this this space over the last few years. What I personally really like to stress with my flashcard making was uh, hinging on a few major concepts that really come from Profound literature on this. Uh, the big thing is this whole concept of active retrieval. I'm sure you're familiar with the the popular study that that made its way into science and in, back in the early 2010s. I think a lot of people refer to this in terms of solidifying the idea of active retrieval being a useful tool for not only. I say strengthening and building enumerated knowledge, but also helping with conceptual knowledge and helping the learner draw together different parts of the material. When you dive into the nitty-gritty of a lot of these, these studies and this particular study as well, their study design actually includes examples as to you know how they form their, their self-assessments and measure their outcomes in, in these study groups. And what I have learned to draw from it also, I think, the feedback that I had received from the early days of the whole Brosencephalon collections was that the short answer format kind of had the most bang for your buck. Interestingly, there's good research that also shows how multiple choice questioning is also useful, but has some caveats that I think a lot of students or you know, people exploring the flashcard approach may not necessarily be easily able to navigate I'll give you an example. So a good amount of research into the testing effect has shown that multiple choice questioning, while it can definitely help in terms of self-assessments, can have a double-edged sword effect in that if you don't provide positive feedback for an incorrect response, multiple choice questioning can, I guess, even inadvertently manifest through negative feedback where sometimes the learner can assume that an answer choice was correct. And if you don't tell them that, hey, you know, option C was actually the right one for this particular reason, and you know, they move on to the next question, the door is left open there for some, for some negative reinforcement. So I think just from a logistical side of point, I've never really seen the benefit in trying to write flashcards from a multiple-choice format.
0: Okay. Yeah, there are a few different studies I've seen in regard to that, but I could not quote all the specifics right now. I think I know which one you're talking about. If I heard the name, I'd probably recognize it, but I didn't commit it to memory. And there are some other, wondering if it was a cognitive psychologist, it's some sort of learning scientist, cognitive psychologist that has a very popular blog website regarding flashcards in particular and seems to also indicate that he prefers the short answer format for flashcards. And I guess my personal experiences have been a little bit more varied since I have different types. I use a lot of short answer, but then a lot of more complex ones when short answer just isn't providing the depth of knowledge, I guess. And Mm -hmm. it seems to be an interesting balancing act, probably too difficult for a lot of students to really be cognitively aware of enough and self-assess in a strong enough manner that they can make this assessment on their own. They can choose this type of card versus that type of card. So just sticking with the simple, short answer is probably the best until you move on to maybe banks that then have the MCQs, but also provide the positive feedback and the immediate feedback you need. Right. So do you have any recommendations or strategies for medical students that are making their own cards. I know a lot of students just want to download large sets of cards up to tens of thousands of cards, such as yours had, but Mm -hmm. that's too much. It's a burden at that point to really go through that many cards without necessarily their own understanding of the format of it. So is there some sort of mixed create your own and pre-made cards or how would you approach that for students?
1: Uh, So my, my general recommendation, whenever this comes up is to Make your own cards. Yeah, I purely just say that, just from I think the benefit you get from going through the material and reformulating the essentially that that data into a question that you write on your own. I think that there is quite a lot of benefit from going through that mental exercise. I mean, you know, it's kind of the difference between reading something passively and reading it actively. We don't have to really dive into how poor of a learning strategy just plan on reading is, but just for the sake of the point, I think that learners certainly benefit a lot more from having put in the cognitive effort of writing that flashcard and, of course, vetting that knowledge as you enter the flashcard into your qbank bank and move on to the next one than just taking somebody else's or like a standing existing collection. At the same time, though, things are not that cut and dry, certainly not in medicine. And, you know, with the volume of material, with all the other demands on medical students, and, you know, just, I guess, with, especially with the current life environment that we live in right now, a lot of things are easier said than done. Your prior podcast host, uh, Gabe from the last episode, had a lot of good points, too, where the benefit of Hinging on a lot of these evidence-based strategies and inferences from this data, is, I think, is pretty clear, right from the top, from curricular design all the way down to the nitty-gritty that we're talking about in terms of flashcard writing. There's no real argument strong enough to to oppose that, but it still puts us in the same situation that we're in, that, you know… Being a med student is, is very multifaceted. There's a huge volume of material that has to be reviewed and, and, and understood. And I think striking a balance between putting in, you know, the effort and writing every card, who knows how many tens of thousands of cards you might end up with, um, and balancing that with, you know, the rest of your time, I think is probably one of the biggest challenges that we have to, to navigate in this space right now. But if I were to give you an answer one way or the other, I would suggest to students to make and write as many of the cards you can yourself if you are really wanting to keep this in your toolkit.
0: This seems to be kind of where we're going with most interviews, it seems, using the hybrid approach, whether it's making your own flashcards, making your own visual mnemonics, another very popular topic we discuss, because there's so much pre made material out there and we're under such a time crunch consistently that. A lot of students just want to rely on the pre-made content. But I agree with you, there is a lot of benefit to synthesizing the material in your own words, making sure you understand it. Because if you just download a set of cards, you come back to them uh, even a few hours later, let alone days or weeks later, there's a good chance you're not going to understand what was there. The forgetting curve has already started to take place. So Mm. I completely agree. Surprisingly, with the number crunch or the time crunch, that a lot of students are under, I'm surprised to find that a lot actually report that they still use analog cards. I thought everyone had switched to Anki or some sort of digital flashcards, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of surprising a lot. still like to write them out and make sure to organize them in some sort of very complex manner, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I was also convinced that people had uh, had gone fully digital by now, but there are some pretty reliable and nifty tools uh, you know, involving actual physical flashcards. Things like the Leitner box and its kind of manifestation of space repetition is, is pretty neat. So I can see how kind of like a gamified form of that can appeal to a lot of learners. I guess one thing I would add to to the point of, of creating your own flashcards, uh, something that actually I'm, I'm really starting to learn or rather read into and and learn about now, is this idea of elaborative interrogation. I suppose it's another learning strategy, I suppose, that is kind of middle of the ground. Whenever I tell this stuff for anybody who's interested, I tend to rank things like the testing effect and the spacing effect um, a little bit more higher than other things like interleaving and what I'm mentioning now, elaborative interrogation and i guess to translate it into a concise version this whole elaborative interrogation idea hinges on the whole putting it into your own words idea right you know instead of just passively reading an explanation forcing yourself to go through the, the all the all that mental the mental gear turning to either postulate it into a question and then of course for you to also place an answer on the back of that flashcard or to explain it out in your own words there actually is data that supports that as an effective learning tool, obviously not as strongly as the other things that we hinge on. And I guess the reason I bring that up is you know, if we're talking about a hybrid-based approach and, and balancing between finite time and, and finite energy in a med student's life, then it might serve students better to take that little effort and understand some of the key learning strategies as they develop their own workflow. And then from there, I think they're in a better position to find the balance that they
0: need. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up collaborative interrogation because that is something that was brought up in one of our early episodes. I think it was number seven with Megan Samaraki from The Learning Scientist. And that was kind of her specialty is, mm. I believe she did some some research specifically on that which was one of the seven learning strategies that they recommend at the learning scientists, another being, of course, recall, another spacing. And I feel like that is one part that the simple association, the short answer format of flashcards can kind of fall short of. Sometimes it can be difficult to elaborate on material to a significant degree if you just have these kind of simple associations. And I understand a lot of the simple associations are needed. They help to memorize all the minuscule little facts that you would probably otherwise forget and sometimes might never use again after the exams but to get a deeper knowledge the elaborative interrogation aspect could be very useful and i guess that's a hard one to really know what the right technique would be for for flashcards i'm not sure if there's any research on that specifically for flashcards but do you have any thoughts on that i'm just curious how you would approach that type of deeper knowledge while still using flashcards
1: yeah, you know that's that's also I think something that we will figure out how to navigate over time because you know not that medicine is unique in this way but I feel like some of the biggest barriers to really bringing all of these strategies into the med ed space and and finding a good balance between them is the fact that the medical knowledge that's you know one requires to be you know to be a physician and 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 to do well in your field Covers so many different types of formats. You know, for example, there's a vast volume of sequential knowledge that we have to know, like pathways of the basal ganglia, ganglia. You know, the coding class A, steps in digestion. There's a whole other arm of enumerated knowledge where it's just straight up facts that we have to memorize. You know, like layers of the esophageal mucosa. Just for the think of a random example, I don't know why I have esophageal diseases on my mind right now, but <laughs> because of the vast variety of material and the varying modalities in which this material is represented to us, not only in vivo, but also in the classroom, I think just makes the whole flashcards being the one and done idea very, very difficult to sell. But at the same time, you know, I, I fe- I've always felt like the flashcard-based approach had a lot more Benefit than it did any cons or any weaknesses to it, just based off the simple idea of how should I say? You know, again, I, I referenced the last episode with Gabe. He presented this in a, in a nice analogy. Now, you can't really read a book if you only know fifty percent of words of the language, or, or or however he said. I would disagree with his stance in that medicine is not the same. I actually do think medicine is the same. I think a lot of complex high order fields operate in the same way. For example, you can't fully understand a myocardial infarction if you don't have, you know, the basic concepts of molecular biology kind of under your belt and almost take it for granted, I think, by the time we get to med school, a lot of the things that we don't, you know, we don't really review again just because we've gone through it so many times and it's become part of the language of our higher learning structures. So I think that basic concept I've always been able to lean on and I guess, has also let me come to terms with the vast volume of flashcards I'm having to go through with the understanding that other tools like practice questions, perhaps, I think, personally, are some of the strongest learning tools out there, alongside something like flashcard learning, really helps you bring all those individual pieces and put them back together again. And this, I think that's probably a better space for this elaborative interrogation to To really shine.
0: Yeah, that episode with Gabe Weiner was really interesting, especially his approach from language learner and teacher. I think that was episode 55, for those that want to go back and check it. And we kind of went over a little bit of my interpretation of different types of flashcards. I had four basic types that I mentioned there. I'm reviewing my notes now because I don't actually have like a good construct to associate these with right now, but I have simple associations, so kind of the simple types of short answer format flashcards, which they're really known for. Then summary associations, summarizing certain topics that are chunked together. Then my third one is kind of the conceptual or process driven. So that's more of probably the elaborative interrogation types of cards possibly. Then the fourth one kind of being a disease summary, just saying everything you know about a disease, which you might need to associate together for like step two material. I guess branching out a little bit from the flashcards is, well, why we need to use all these different tools. Flashcards can be really good for certain things at certain times, but then we also have question banks. We also have projects. We also have group discussions. And using just one tool for everything is probably not going to be the most effective way to approach it, it sounds like.
1: I would agree and and, and disagree. Again, I mean, if we're leaning... Purely on the literature here, then I would tend to disagree. I would say that there is some data out there that suggests that even straight up simple short answer questions, in terms of self assessments through flashcards or doing a quiz, have been shown to be effective for conceptual knowledge. Um, I actually have some of my notes from a, uh, a, um, a webinar that I did with Osmosis back in the day exactly on this topic. This one study that uh, I referenced just now, the one in science back in 2011, I can send this link to you afterwards, I don't have an actual link to the study right now, but the second arm in their study actually looked at this at this question rather. They took a passage about sea otters in an undergraduate biology population and effectively gave them two different types of short answer questions to test their knowledge with and they found that the students did better on the conceptual questions you know example here would be you know what would be the consequences of removing sea otters from their environment you know not necessarily a single order or even a secondary order association that you're know, alluding to just there you know that's a question that probably takes a little bit of understanding about the whole sea otter situation in general. I don't know much about sea otters, but long story short, I know they were able to show benefit in giving students tools that involve just straight, short answer questions and that translating into better conceptual understanding when they followed up with assessments afterwards. But the caveat, of course, is, I think, the same logistical issue that we were talking about just now. There's just so much material. How can you as a singular med student really tackle the idea of making a particular flashcard for every facet of disease presentation or, or therapy or workup and diagnosis and you know, not get burnt out, uh, find the time and energy to consistently review and consolidate that knowledge and tap into other modalities to tie in all those facts together, I think it's quite a daunting task. I would disagree in that there isn't benefit there. I see the challenge that a lot of students are facing. And unfortunately, I I, I can't say I have a black and white answer for that right now.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of challenge in just the quantity aspect. If someone tried to make a flashcard for every little connection in detail, they'd have, well, tens of thousands, maybe 16,000 flashcards. Right. (laughs) But I guess a better way to approach it, maybe for some students anyway, is Using flashcards not just as their main mode of getting down every topic of every bit of information, but more of a self assessment after they've taken some sort of assessment, whether that be the end of chapter questions or something they've seen online or their in class quizzes, and then transferring that to a flashcard deck. And then later on, when they're doing their dedicated step prep, any questions that they get wrong on their Q bank that they add in some sort of flashcard. So, how would you recommend just using it for maybe that self-assessment and needing more repetitions to get this factoid down or this connection down?
1: I think that's probably how people initially bring it into their workflow. I don't think I've come across a student or or a learner working their way into this flashcard thing as a tool, make it their be-all, end-all. I think that's pretty daunting to flip a switch and do. And I think that's probably also the most natural way of segueing this into your workflow even maybe just picking and choosing certain topics like maybe there's an organ system where you could use extra reinforcement and and people tap into the whole fast car thing that way i've seen that as a very common way of, for people to work it in so i think there's a lot of benefit there but taking a step back you know the conversation i find myself having most often with you know my med students and the younger interns who are very interested in changing their approach and changing their The way of acquiring knowledge is more so figuring out and urging them how they want to use their time. Because I'll be frank with you, you know, when I started learning about all these different strategies, I lost a lot of interest in going to lecture. I lost a lot of interest in watching video recordings or listening to audio recordings. I quickly bought into the whole idea of the passive modalities of learning not being worth the time. So, after deciding that, I figured it'd be better to put my time elsewhere. So I actually did see myself learning and, and encroaching new concepts through practice questions or through flashcards or through an interactive way of learning. Concept mapping was something that I, I tried to pick up a little bit more when I stopped, you know, writing out notes and, and going to lecture. Um, so I guess, kind of a segue from your question, I think the bigger and more impactful thing for learners to, to think about is what strategy are they, are they tapping into overall? And then from there, you know, figure out do you want to continue X, Y, and Z? Do you want to bring flashcards in to replace X, Y, or Z? Or, you know, do you want to bring other tools in to replace what you are already doing? And then I think from there you'll have a better sense of how much time you need, how much time you have, and how much then you can devote to things like flashcard writing. Instead of diving in straight to that, I think it would be better to work from the outside in, if that makes sense.
0: Okay. Cause I've definitely seen students do this and I'm pretty sure I did this my first semester too, was I hear about some really popular flashcard deck and I go and download it and it's within the first couple of weeks or even first couple of months of med school. What are you going to do with that? There's thousands, tens of thousands of flashcards and you haven't covered mm-hmm. a good majority of the material. So it's useless at that point. Then you probably get a little dissuaded, don't want to use it anymore. Don't remember to come back to it later on. So it ends up just sitting on your hard drive collecting digital dust. And then, at least from my personal experience, I know it took me a while to come back to flashcards because I didn't realize the different types, I didn't realize the best practices of them. So, the early bad experience that I had, I then put off flashcards for a while. It it Mm -hmm. took a while to come back and then start using them a little more properly. And then it's still a constant learning process. I think, like you said, it's not black and white. There's not one best answer at this point. It's going to depend on the subject and the student, And it's just kind of a constant self-assessment and improvement of how you use them, how frequently you use them, what types of cards you're making.
1: I think we're all kind of in the same boat in that way how Western educational institutions have been based off of you know, essentially similar conventions, you know, the whole lecture-based approach to deliverance of knowledge and material, for example, or, you know, the whole binge and purge approach to assessments and, you know, to promotions and and and, and things like that. So I think a lot of us are probably um, maybe even unknowingly kind of in a, in a similar position in that we're all kind of had these bad practices, I guess we can say, ingrained into our heads. So that's kind of the message I try to tell students who are really interested in in revamping their approach to knowledge, because it's not anybody's particular fault. I think that's just kind of what we all got used to as little kids, sitting in lecture, listening to somebody speak, being tested about it, you know, a couple of months down the line, and then not really having any academic importance after that in terms of your promotion and your record. And I think it's quite difficult for somebody in their mid-20s now entering medical school or residency to just revamp that on the drop of a dime. So whenever this comes up and and whenever I get questions about the nitty-gritty from learners, I kind of urge them to, to at least make sure that they're turning those gears and taking a step back and seeing, okay, what strategies am I tapping into overall? And then I think that just puts you in a better position to figure out, okay, I want to dive into the whole flashcard tool a little bit more, or I want to actually start you know, scheduling time in my week to do a block of UWorld, for example, and keep my practice questions staying a little bit more consistent. I think from there, it's better for learners to figure out what works best for them.
0: I completely agree. Well, all right. So as we kind of get towards the end of this interview here, I have a few kind of rapid questions fire questions, and then a personal one at the end. So first, do you have any favorite plugins for Anki?
1: Yeah, I guess there's four that I mainly use I guess there are some really impressive ones that have been made since I was really neck deep in the Anki world. I guess the four that I, I allude to, the hierarchical tags, I think that solves a huge headache in terms of just keeping your decks organized, being able to pull out specific organ systems specific topics if you wanted to just kind of review things in a focused manner and for some surprise tools that I am currently working on to the hierarchical tag system I think is just important to understand uh, for the Anki platform I really like the frozen fields plugin as well too um, as somebody who still authors my own cards it's become my main tool for learning, actually, here in residency as well, too. So the Frozen Fields plugin has really made my flashcard making a lot less, a lot less stressful, and a lot more streamlined as well. The Load Balancer, I think, does a good job and has some bells and whistles if you really do want to tinker with your intervals, with the space repetition intervals. And the other one I really like is the the Heat Mapper. A good tool to, to visualize your consistency in terms of your self-assessments. I think one thing that has been inferred a lot from the data is that space repetition has a lot of inertia. So having that extra tool to just kind of keep you a little bit more consistent with your flashcard reviews, I think just benefits you more in the long run. So those are the four that I would uh, call out. And shout-out to Glutan inmates over in Germany for the amazing work he does in terms of Anki plugins and, and uh, open-source work for the Anki faithful.
0: Love it. Definitely going to add some links to those plugins in the comments as well. And do you use images and mnemonics in your flashcards?
1: Mnemonics, yes. I guess mnemonics are a, a touchy subject just because I think you can often get into the trap of creating rather weak mnemonics. Um, but I think if you know if you can... Really put one together that either forges a strong conceptual connection with the material that you're making the mnemonic for or can latch onto other aspects of your memory like for for example a lot of people used to used to tease me about some of the mnemonics and uh, or just taglines in the original Bros and Cephalon deck because a lot of them were like you know about my friends and uh, you know the hot girl in our class for example they stuck in my memory you know that really helped so I think in that way disseminating m- mnemonics can sometimes be risky because in one way of them being meaningful to one person it may not it may not necessarily translate to the next person so. I guess the answer is yes and no. And I try to include them more so when I'm convinced that they have that extra oomph, that it's not just, you know, a nice tagline and you remember the acronym, but, you know, it it either really solidifies the, the concept and the conceptual relation between the material or something that really hinges on something already established and strong within your memory.
0: Definitely agree. We always say to make your own because that personal relation, that person you know, the experience you've had before is going to stick with you much better than some general one that you find on a website.
1: Exactly, exactly. Like there's one about a chemotherapy regimen that for ovarian cancer that I will never forget because the initials were one of my ex girlfriend's initials. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's just <laughs> that's just yeah. that's just what it is. Whatever um, works. But that's an exact, that's an exact. Good example, rather, you know. If I were to share that with the next person, they'd be like, "Yeah, these two letters mean
0: don't mean anything to me." So, there's one thing you could change if you went back in time. What would it be?
1: There's one thing I could change, like about myself, about anything,
0: anything at all.
1: Oh man, <laughs> I would go back and make sure John Terry didn't miss that penalty. Um, <laughs> like, what are you? <laughs> uh, Alright, let's,
0: um, let's say in your medical education then Gotcha,
1: not a thing not a thing, you know, it's it's been a tough and challenging journey and you know, I stumbled onto a lot of the projects that I'm very fortunate to have built. I't trade it for anything. you know like a lot of a lot of people ask me that like, hey, man, if you were to go back and do the whole and Cephalon thing, you know would you do it differently? would you would you monetize it this way and all that kind of stuff? And I don't, I don't think so. I think I've been able to gain a lot of meaning and and purpose and and direction and fulfillment from a lot of the stuff that I just kind of stumbled onto. And I guess in hindsight, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything else right now.
0: Nice. Okay. And do you have any other resources that you'd recommend for the students?
1: I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Hit me up uh, at Brosencephalon on Twitter, Brosencephalon.com, I guess if I have an opportunity to tap my, toot my own horn here. If students are really interested in you know the evolving med-ed space in, with the research that's going on, honestly, the, the best advice I feel like I could, I could give is, is to get engaged and to be involved. Because a lot of this... Is new territory. There's a lot of interesting research questions that a lot of people are looking into. There's a lot of stuff that's already been done that can be built upon. The Yankee study out of Harvard with Francis Dang is one that comes to memory that I think a lot of students have been able to branch out from and build upon um, in their own spaces. You got people who have established profound identities for themselves, them being med students, like the Anki website. Um, I've been in contact with those guys here and there a little bit. And from my understanding, they're just a group of med students. The r slash med school Anki community, which has really kind of thrived and become its own niche in med ed right now is, I think, all just the work of engaged med students. So I think uh, that's probably the piece of advice I would give. I can't think of any one particular resource to point people to. But I think if you, you know get your name out there and, and get yourself engaged, I think you'll find what works best for you and will be able to help others along the way.
0: Those are great resources. I'm definitely going to add links to those in the show notes as well. So anyone listening to this can go and click on them, find all of these great resources and use them. And Amri, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the show and sharing all of your great experiences and the value from these flashcard techniques and really where to go next too is just going to be very useful for the audience here.
1: For sure, man. My pleasure. I hope I was able to... Give people some value and all that rambling. This is becoming rather a a complex and extensive topic. So I'm really pleased to see that a lot of people are interested in in finding out more and and really improving our modern educational environment. So you know, all the kudos to you as well for having this platform. And I think, like I said, I I say this on Twitter a lot. I think we're headed in the right direction, and a lot of people are doing a lot of good work in their own areas. And I think eventually it'll it'll consolidate into a better medical
0: education. Approach. Agreed. Well, let's all stay in touch and really improve MedEd in the future. For sure, man. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For links to connect to us, email us, or for previous episodes, please see the show notes. We'd also love to hear from you. So please send an email or join us on the Medical Nemesis Mastermind Facebook group. Any ideas, tips, tricks, people that you'd like to hear interviewed, we'd love to hear it. Any advice to make the show better and more enjoyable would be greatly appreciated.